you know, things changed for us this week. I sent out an email about that. The CDC changed its recommendations so that vaccinated people, fully vaccinated people, don't need to wear a mask or to socially distance indoors or outdoors. Uh, And North Carolina dropped mandates on that issue. Um, so we've changed a little bit how we're doing things in that you, you choose your own seat, choose your own adventure there. Um, and we're, we're not requiring masks in here. Um, we're, our children in the Sunday school are still required to wear masks because they're entirely unvaccinated, all of them, and they're in a classroom. So that's similar to what they would experience at school uh, as well. Um, I would encourage you right now, it's going to be a little bit of a shift and it's uh, tempting to, to adopt some unhealthy habits and postures in your heart by evaluating what other people are doing and casting judgment on them. And this is, this is possible for everyone. You could be an unvaccinated person not wearing a mask, knowing that you're sitting next to an unvaccinated person who is wearing a mask, and you're like, why is this person so dumb and full of fear? Why are they doing this? Don't do that. That's not a good habit of your heart. You don't know why that person is doing that. For example, in the 9 o'clock, sir, I'm vaccinated. I have been since before Easter. I wore a mask because my kids, uh, we're making our kids wear masks because they're unvaccinated. And I just want to kind of be with them in that. So that's why I'm doing that. But if you, you could look at me and say I'm crazy, fair enough, I am. Uh, but maybe just don't judge me for that for that particular reason. Similarly, you could be in a position where you're vaccinated and you know so-and-so is not vaccinated or not wearing a mask. Look how reckless they are, terrible, blah, blah, blah. Don't do that. Don't do that. They understand uh, the risks that they have and don't have, and they are adopting that risk for themselves. Okay? So I would just invite you to police your heart and make sure that you understand we are in this together. Um, We... I was talking to a doctor friend this week, and he said, you know, we are in this position because we live in a country where safe, effective vaccines are widely available for free. And we receive the benefit and the privilege of that. And all you have to do is look at Samuel Foos and what's going on in India and see the difference. Samuel said, there are people in India, hundreds of millions who will not have access, desperately want them. And even if they could have access, they're not free. They'd have to pay for them, and they can't afford it. And we don't live in that circumstance. We are super grateful for that. Uh, And we recognize that 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 does not leave us in a position to, to be judging one another on this issue. I'm not up here to give you medical advice. That's not my field of expertise. If you have questions about whether you should be vaccinated, here's my advice. Talk to a doctor. Do not Google a doctor, some unknown chiropractor on the Internet who will tell you what you should do. Talk to your medical doctor whom you trust about your body. Listen to them and take their advice. If you have theological or ethical concerns about receiving a vaccine, that's more my field. Okay, and I I can talk with you about that. You are welcome to come speak with me anytime if you have questions about that. Um, We did a survey and about close to 90 people last time I checked responded. Lots of people left comments. Some of it is irrelevant now because of what's happened in the past week. The vast majority of comments were so positive, supportive, 
and encouraging. There's like three or four people who might have had a bee in their bonnet, got a little snippy. But that's it. Not Nothing too bad. And uh, as I reflected on what was coming this week and beyond, what I was overwhelmed by was gratitude. Valley Hope has by and large endured the past 15 months with a great deal of grace and patience and flexibility for one another with your session with the leadership of this church. And I am so, so, so grateful to you because I know of churches where that is not true where everything had to descend into a shouting match or name-calling or a political discussion, and that has not been the case here. And I am so grateful for that as the pastor of this church. Thank you. And specifically, I know that for the past 15 months, there have been a number of you who have not liked what we are doing here. Do not like to wear a mask, don't want to sit in a signed seat, or RSVP and all this stuff. And what I want to say to you is I especially thank you. You, you, I want to honor you. Because you, you felt that and you said, I'm going to show up. I'm going to be flexible anyway. And I'm I'm not going to make a problem about this for other people. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you specifically who has had to really fight against how you feel about what should be done. Thank you so much. Well, my, my expectation is that we'll continue to grow and, and be adapt and flexible. You know, things just change all the time. And, you know, next week I might be making a different announcement. I, I don't know. This is what COVID has been for all of us. Um, but thank you for being with us in it together. Let's run this race to its completion, um, however that looks like, whenever that looks like. Um, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 1. This is the very beginning of the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he'd given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he'd chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they'd come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and the cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for for this, the teaching and the commands of Jesus. 
God, we pray for your help by your Holy Spirit that our, our hearts would be open, our ears would be unstopped, that we might hear your word and receive it with joy and gladness. God, we pray that our hearts would be stirred and moved to love you and our whole lives would be set ablaze by that love. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, as I considered what I ought to do in, in preaching, as I anticipated um, coming into the summer and, and things shifting at least one degree, I didn't picture this much, um, I, my expectation was that for, for about 15 months, the, the word of the day for our church has been endurance, just keep going. And now we need to be ready to shift out of endurance mode and move into mission mode. Um, and we need to be reminded that the church is not just about hunkering down and making it, but instead the church is supposed to look a particular way and to do certain kinds of things. And we need to remember who we're called to be. And the book of Acts is the best place to do that. So we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts. I'm not even sure how long it will be yet. It's a big book. Uh, we'll be here for a good bit. And today, uh, we are uh, three days removed um, from the Feast of the Ascension. If you're counting on the calendar, Easter Thursday, this past Thursday, Easter was 40 days before that. Jesus ascended into heaven 40 days uh, after Easter. And so today is the Sunday closest to the Ascension where we meditate on and reflect on the Ascension. And next week we're going to track right along with the book of Acts. And we'll be in Pentecost and we'll be in Acts chapter 2, which is Pentecost. It is important to meditate and think deeply about what Luke is telling us in this beginning to the book of Acts. If you didn't catch it, Luke is referring to this other book and Acts is part two. His part one is the book of Luke. The gospel of Luke is Luke's attempt to tell Theophilus, probably this person who has funded his work, why he should have confidence in what he believes. He assembles this vast collection of testimony and evidence about why Jesus should be worshipped and glorified. And part two is is going to be Luke's telling us what flows naturally out of what Jesus has done. So this moment here is a bridge where Luke will repeat some things that he said at the end of Luke and he'll launch us forward into what he's about to tell us about what the church has done. And the disciples who get their name changed to apostles in the, in the book of Acts, they're going to be the sent ones, which are what apostles are. They are gathered around Jesus in these 40 days, and they are being taught and instructed by Jesus. And if you are not prepared, if you are unfamiliar with the story of Jesus, you, you see he's, he's resurrected, he's victorious. You come to the beginning of Acts, and the strangest thing happens. This cloud comes and carries him away. It doesn't feel like where the story should be going. At this point, it seems like this is, this is the moment 
of his triumph, like he should march into Jerusalem in power and you know, get those people back who've done this thing to him. That's how maybe you and I might be expecting things to go. And it's in fact how the disciples expected things to go. You can hear their question, is this the time when you're going to restore all things to Israel? We're going to get rid of those bad guys and we're going to be done with this. And Jesus says, that's none of your business. The time of, of those things happening, it's not your business. You need to stay in Jerusalem, to receive power from the Holy Spirit. And what he tells them then is that they will be sent to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Luke is actually helpfully charting for us where we're going to go in the book of Acts. The stories in Acts are arranged this way. you got a bunch of stories in Jerusalem. Then you get some stories in the surrounding region, Judea and Samaria, and then you get a bunch of stories about going to the ends of the earth. But right now they are told to stay. And the cloud comes, and he goes up. And they're staring into the sky like, what just happened? And these angels appear and say, why are you surprised? Why are you standing here looking? He's coming back this way one day. Now, if your mind is immersed in the Jewish scriptures and your ears attentive to the prophets, something in you stirs and you remember Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, the prophet has a vision. In this vision, there are these terrible beasts full of power, and God defeats them from his throne. And this person, one like a son of man, ascends on a cloud. And God from his throne gives that person all of his authority to rule over the nations forever. And you hear that scripture, you see this image of what happens to Jesus, and you remember Jesus' fondness for calling himself the Son of Man. And so what we are to be primed to see and to understand, not just now, but for the rest of the book of Acts, is that Jesus has not vacated the story. He, he, we will not see him in the narrative. We will not see him doing miracles. We will not see him giving teachings. We'll, we will very rarely see him enter into the story explicitly. But what Luke wants to make sure we know and understand is he is not absent from the story. He's very much present. And when Jesus told his disciple and the disciples in the Gospels, I will never leave you or forsake you, he did not break his promise. He would not do that. So the question then must become, what is he doing? If he told us he would never leave us or forsake us, and he has ascended like this, and it looks like by all appearances that he's hit the eject button, and left, then what must we understand that he is doing? And it's vital that you see that he is not absent but very present so that you don't come to believe what Luke wants, what the scriptures want, is for you to sit around and wait for the eject button so you can get flung up into the sky with him. There is something else going on. Jesus we see in his life in the Gospels, has taken up three jobs. He takes on the job of the great prophet. 
He becomes the one, not who, just who tells the future. That's not mostly what prophets do in the Bible. But instead reveals to people what is the will of God and what they ought to do to be in right relationship with him. That's what prophets do. And Jesus is the best prophet that there's ever been. The Gospels want you to see that. And the Gospels also want you to see that Jesus acts as a priest he has this job, this role as a priest to go between God and man as a mediator to act between the two and ultimately to make it so that you are right with God. So Jesus has the job of a prophet, the job of a priest, and Jesus loves to preach about the kingdom of which it becomes clear that he has declared himself the king. And what we have to see and understand and believe is that when Jesus ascends into heaven, he does not quit any of those jobs, but has instead expanded them, acted upon them in even greater measure, so that Jesus is still the great prophet, the greatest prophet, the greatest priest, and the greatest king. You can see the indications of who he still is as a prophet in the beginning of this text in Acts chapter 1. He is busy, in, after his resurrection, instructing and teaching the apostles. He's telling them his commands. and we, You see that Luke doesn't then blow those out for you and give you a long list or, or a long screed that they've written down uh, from those days. So you might be wondering then, how do we get that? How do we have what Jesus is meant to teach us? Jesus has not abandoned that role of teaching us what it is that God would want for us, but has instead passed on that task to these apostles, and we now objectively have proof that God has done what he said he would do as our great prophet. The proof is in your hands. Those apostles will go on guiding, directing, and teaching the truth. And the New Testament is the product of that teaching. So that Jesus' teaching, as the great prophet, lives on and is put into your hands. Not only that, Jesus doesn't just deliver the book to your hands, but by his spirit still applies, interprets, and brings those things home to you. When I was meditating on these things this week, I, had, I needed to go hang out with my friend Herman, who's dead. He's, he's a theologian, Dutch theologian, Herman, ba Herman Bavink. He was born in the 1800s. He's my friend. He's going to be your friend here by the time that we're done. Herman Bavink, he says, The apostles were equipped to bring that holy scripture of the New Testament into being, which taken together with the books of the Old Testament is a lamp upon the path of the church and a light before its feet. It is Christ himself who gave this word to his church and who by means of it progressively carries out his office. He preserves and distributes it, explains and interprets it. It is the instrument by which he makes nations his disciples, by which he incorporates them into the fellowship of the triune God and makes them to walk in his commandments. By his word and his spirit, Christ is always with us still until the end of the world. 
Jesus does not quit his job as the prophet. He is the great prophet who is still prophesying to our hearts. The scriptures will also want you to see that Jesus acts permanently as our great priest. Now, the thing that I could do now is just to tell you to turn the book of Hebrews and just read the whole thing. But that would take a little bit too long. The book of Hebrews is entirely about how Jesus is better. And you can just fill in the blank. Jesus is better than whatever. Anything you put in that blank, Jesus is better than that. And Jesus, especially in the book of Hebrews, is better than anything that you can see in the Old Testament. Anything that you find in the Old Testament is good and true, but it is a shadow of the greatness of Jesus. So you think Moses is great in the Old Testament? Jesus is greater. You think the temple, the tabernacle is great? Jesus is better. You think that the offerings are good in the Old Testament? Jesus is better. You think that the, this strange figure named Melchizedek, this person, such a great kind of priest that even Abraham himself offers tithes, you think he's great? Jesus is even better. He is still our great mediator. And now your priest and mine is seated at the right hand of the Father. Your question should be, what is he doing? What is he doing there? Now, I just want to read part of the book of Hebrews to you, just a, just a few verses. This is from Hebrews chapter 7. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing office. But he, Jesus who cannot be conquered by death, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Since, listen to this, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus, your high priest in mind, does not hit the eject button, but enters into the holiest prayer room in the history of all things. And he is busy praying for you. Jesus is praying for you and for me. When you are sleeping and doing nothing, Jesus is praying for you. When you are at your worst or at your best, the Son of God is seated at the right hand of the Father praying for you. Now, we might be tempted to believe maybe Jesus needs to do that because the Father is like angry at us and Jesus is always like, no, 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 don't do it. Don't nuke them. Don't get them. My friend Herman reminds us that is not the case. The Father loves you. And you have access to his love because of the Son's intercession. This is not the Father against the Son. This is the Father and the Son conspiring to draw you into his own life. And Jesus is praying for you. This one, this same Jesus who was resurrected from the dead, he is ascended in his body 
praying for you. Our great mediator going between us and God. So that the author of Hebrews says, you can come boldly into the throne room of God himself. Because the son ushers you in and takes you by the hand. That is what the great high priest is doing. And Jesus has not quit his job as your priest. He is also not laid down his claim to his kingship, but has instead firmly established it. He is not done laying claim to the kingship. He has, in fact, expanded it and magnified it. What the scriptures will tell us is that Jesus is reigning as king until all things are put under his feet. My friend Herman says this. This is the surprising way in which Jesus brings to bear his power as king. As mediator, he must also triumph over all his enemies. He does not meet them in the field and defeat them in battle by means of his divine omnipotence. And in, in other words, he's not by his pure might that he just vanquishes someone on the field of battle, but he shows them the power which he has earned by his suffering and death. Just as the church is redeemed in the way of justice, so the enemies of Christ will someday be condemned in the way of justice. Over against them, God will not, as he will certainly always be able to do, make use of his omnipotence, his raw power. But he will triumph over them through the cross. You and I, See the power of God in the crucified and resurrected Jesus. And that is actually the symbol and icon of his own power. We expect brute force in power, but God instead demonstrates an alternative kind of power, the power of his justice to win us and claim us completely where we otherwise might fall short on the scale of justice, God says, I will show you my power by bringing you, the unjust ones, into my good stead. And so when we are reading the book of Acts, you have to keep that image in mind because it will oftentimes seem in the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament, in our own lives, that God is not in control. The question rings through the New Testament all the way through the book of Revelation, which we finished last year. The question is, is God watching the death of his people? Is he really in charge? And what you have to see is that God is laying claim to the nations through the power of his cross. The power he has earned in the suffering and death. To his people, he gives a kingship of grace, Bob Inc. will say. He'll call us his bride. He will call us his body. From his head, from his kingship flows all the life and vitality that we have together as a people. And when the world presses in with knives drawn, 
What we must trust is that Christ also has a kingship that is one of power. This cross-shaped power. And what we have to trust as we read the book of Acts and as we read our lives is that God will one day reveal the fullness of that power and people will be called to account on what they have done before the cross. Because what God has done is because of the Son, is He has continued to pour out gift upon gift upon gift upon you and me and all people everywhere, day after day, century after century, lavishing grace and goodness upon people. And one day, there will be a day of revelation. And we will see Him. And the question will be, when you see the one who was crucified, do you reckon and realize that you have denied his gifts or that you've seen that he's the one who's given them? At the end of times, when the whole history of the world and that of each individual person will have ended, everyone will, in his own conscience, have to agree with Christ on seeing all that God, for the sake of the mediator, has given in the way of spiritual and material gifts. Willingly or unwillingly, every knee will sometime bow to him, and every tongue confess that Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. And one day, as the Son of Man, Christ will pronounce the final judgment over every creature, and he shall condemn none, save those who in their own conscience, convicted by the Holy Spirit, are condemned already. He brings his judgment in power in the cross. The king has not laid aside his claim to the throne. The cross has not ruined his claim to the throne. The cross is his proof that the throne is his. You and I are going to enter into this life together, into the book of Acts and the church together. And we are meant to understand that this crucified, risen, and exalted and ascended Lord Jesus has not forsaken the field of battle. That he is in fact still the great truth teller. We will see his spirit reveal the truth again and again in the book of Acts. And you and I can attest to it in our own lives. He will not abandon his role as high priest. You can see the fruit of Jesus' prayers in the book of Acts. And you can see it in your life and in mine. And Jesus will make clear in the book of Acts that he is the reigning king. That even Caesar up against him, has nothing in comparison to him. And it is his cross that will conquer and be the the force of his judgment. The question for you now, today, is the question that awaits all people in one day. When you see that one revealed, when you see that one revealed as the true Lord, Who will you there see? The one now that you love and trust or the one that you have rejected? If you are here today and you love and you trust Jesus, 
your mind is confused and you are overwhelmed with disinformation and confusion, the great prophet is your friend. Hebrews will say he is surprisingly somehow your brother. And he will continue to tell the truth to you and reveal the truth for you in the scriptures and applied to your heart from there. If you are today overwhelmed with shame from your sin and you are tempted to run far from the Father, the priest, the great high priest, is there praying for you now, ready to welcome you to the Father with great joy and no hesitation. If you are today so overwhelmed and ruined by governing your life, the one who we call our great captain in the faith. He is our king. And he loves to take care of his people. Do you see him and do you trust him now? And in the moment of that revelation. And if today are you here and have never trusted him. The book of Acts is not removing Jesus from the table. So that you don't have to think about him anymore. What we're saying is Jesus meant it when he said that he'll never leave you or forsake you, that he is here, that he is present, and the question is put to you now, and it will get an answer from you at one time or another. Do you see Jesus for who he is, and will you submit to him? Will you bow the knee to this one who would tell you the truth and be your mediator and usher you in and take care of you? Or will you instead stand on your own two feet for yet a little while longer? Let today be the day where your running is done. And instead come see the ascended Lord Jesus. And let him be these things for you. He has not quit his job he is still on the task, our great prophet, our priest, and our king forever and ever. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful to be able to confess to you that you are our Lord Jesus. You are the king. You are the rightful ruler, governor of all of heaven and earth. You could crush us by your power with no effort at all. And yet you have demonstrated your power most clearly to us in the cross. We are so grateful for your patience with us. We are so grateful for your love. We are grateful for your intercession. We, we were just doing our best to get here this morning, not really even thinking about you, but you were still praying for us. And Father, I pray that you will break the defenses that we have built up against you and invade. Father, I pray for all of those who are listening. If they have come close to you before, God, I, I pray that their eyes will be fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that they would take great comfort in you and you alone. And Father, for those who are here who have not trusted you, God, I pray that they would lose all hope in the ways and the systems of this world and in themselves and instead will come and see the King who is God. Who, who may, they thought, was far away, but is actually closer than they could have ever imagined. Father, I pray that you would rescue them and bring them in. Lord Jesus, 
We are so grateful that you are with us always by the power of your word and spirit. Transform us more and more into your image and likeness to the praise of your name. Amen.